0: Hi, and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. We pray that God uses Dean and his guests to inform and inspire you about the EPC and how God is working in and through our global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. The motto of our family of congregations is, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now, here's Dean.
1: Thank you so much, Rachel Joseph. Appreciate that. Kind words as always. And welcome, my friends, to another edition of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And if you're part of the EPC family of churches, welcome back. It's great to have you in yet another conversation as we listen in on some good gospel conversations that I think will be a blessing to you and to those that are in your church and your family. And we pray that you might like us on social, share that good word with other people, pass the word around to others. That always is a big help. If you're not part of the EPC family, well, welcome to you as well. We're grateful to have you here, whether you're on the Peloton or going for a walk around the park or just sitting in your favorite comfy chair with a cup of coffee listening to a good conversation, I think you're going to enjoy the conversation that we're having today. That conversation is with Karina Gambrell, who is the pastor of the Rocky River Presbyterian Church in South Carolina, and she and I are together at a small church summit sponsored by the EPC and our sister denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. And I think Karina's story is a compelling one, and you're going to enjoy hearing uh, not only her call to the ministry and testimony, uh, but what God is doing in and through the small church. So, Karina, welcome to In All Things. Be
2: here. Thank you.
1: It's a delight to have you here. Um, this particular episode of In All Things is brought to you by the Small Church Network in the EPC. This Small Church Summit, which is our second, is highlighting the particular challenges and uh, gifts and wonderful attributes of what is 72% of our congregations in the EPC, which are churches under 200. But as you'll hear in a little bit, the majority of our churches are actually well under that. And small churches, many of them are churches with 20, with 30, with 40, with 50 people gathering in worship. And they too have a important place in God's kingdom and are doing vibrant things that God has created them for. And so we're excited to listen to that And they meet a need, in particular, that one of our presenters today was Reverend Joe Kim, who's the moderator of our 43rd General Assembly. And Joe shared with our group how discipleship is the antidote for the kind of isolation that we're seeing, particularly whether it's Generation Z or Millennials coming out of the pandemic, that relational discipleship is the solution to what the rising generations are looking for in terms of a greater sense of belonging. And we think that can happen uniquely and particularly in a small church. And that's why we're at this conference. That's why we're working intentionally on equipping, empowering, and supporting our smaller churches And that's why I'm excited for you to listen into the conversation we're having today. So Karina, let's just start a little bit with your story and background, which is super fascinating. The more we talk, the more we get to know your story, and the more I'm fascinated by the work of God in your life, which is awesome. You're obviously not from the U.S. originally, but tell us about where you grew up, how you came to the States, how you came to find Christ, some of the transforming work Christ did to kind of strip you down of things that he could take away so that you would only have that which really matters and build you back up again and now using you powerfully in, in small church ministry. So it's a cool story. So give us just as much as you can in terms of your your background.
2: All righty. Thank you. So grew up in a Northeast England on the East Coast off the border of Scotland in a little market town. Famous for Harry Potter, as a matter of fact. Really? The Harry Potter Castle. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that right. a claim fame right there. So okay. it's a thriving town now.
0: So
1: like the tourists are coming there yeah. for that?
2: And oh. they actually now have the biggest, I think it's like a playground. It's called the Treehouse. Okay. Lilla Dory, it's called, uh-huh. in this market town, and it's huge. So oh, okay. they have not gone from being a very small, quaint, quiet market town to now being like a really big tourist Oh town.
1: my goodness. Okay. I got to go look that So
2: up. yeah, it's really cool. Okay. Um, But that's where I was born. That's where I was raised in a really good home, but just not a Christian household. There was no church worship on a Sunday. We didn't have a Bible growing up or anything like that. So I wasn't churched, so to speak. So we moved to the States, my ex-husband and I actually moved Mm -hmm. to the States in 2006 to open a pub and a restaurant.
1: Okay. It's going to be a British pub and restaurant.
2: Pub and restaurant. Yeah. So I often joke, I went from standing behind the bar, you know, pulling pints to behind the pulpit serving the you know. So anyway, yeah, so 2006 and we brought a lot of contractors over with us to make it unique. And it was very British. It was a beautiful, beautiful restaurant. And it opened in 2007. So my oldest was born in 06, and then I had an, an, my other son in 08. And we lived in Greenwood, South Carolina, and we had quite the perfect life. If you wanted it, you got it.
1: Two kids, great restaurant, British pub, all the-
2: Gated community, I mean, you name it. It yeah. was the American dream.
1: And I th- feel like there's a turn coming here.
2: There is a bot you know, it yeah. sounds like Paul when he's writing his letters, but, yeah, um, but anyway, so my husband at the time, my ex-husband thought it'd be beneficial for this new business of ours to visit churches. Didn't really matter what church at what time or what denomination, but to be seen at church so that it would be good for business. We could get to know people and we could invite them to the restaurant or they would come to the restaurant. So we did our rounds throughout the small town. And to be honest, I dragged my feet. I did not want to go to church. I was not interested. I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't even know what the gospel was, to be quite honest with you. I didn't understand what the preacher was talking about, whether it was Old or New Testament. The hymns were over my head. I felt like I didn't fit in. I did not have a place or fit in these churches that we were visiting so a lot of the time my ex-husband would venture out on his own for the purposes of business and I would stay home with the kids. So uh, one afternoon at the, at the restaurant, an older lady came in asking for a gift certificate for a festival that they were going to be having at her church. And I just want to put this in here. The, the town that we're from, it had a lot of mom and pop restaurants. And then there was the chains like Chili's and Outback. She could have gone anywhere. She went to a pub. You know, this lady's in her seventies and she came to a pub where I'm standing behind a bar and she comes in and asks for a gift card. It's so God. And I gave her the gift card and then she invites us to the festival. Of course, my ex-husband thinks this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. To go to the church, to meet the people, to invite them back to the restaurant because it's such a good business opportunity. I, on the other hand, said, no, we're not going. We just don't do church. You know, it's not my thing. So we went the next day to the festival. So at the festival, I was met by a ton of wonderful people, very kind, very sweet people who invited us back to church on Sunday, to which my ex-husband said, sure, we'll be there. To which I said, no, we won't. We don't do church. It's not our thing, but it's good for business. So we went the next day. And as we went into the church, into the sanctuary, my little one was in a car carrier, a little infant carrier seat. So as I'm bending down to get him out, to put him on my lap, for the first time in my life, I hear the gospel. I hear the word. I hear for the first time what the preacher has to say. And it's loud and it's clear and it makes sense for the first time. I
1: mean, only the Holy Spirit can do that, right?
2: Right. I mean, just, yes, this is the church that I'm digging my heels in. This is the same church that the old lady came to for a gift certificate that could have gone anywhere. And after speaking to her later, she said that the Lord himself told her specifically (sighs) to go to this place. Wow. Yes. So in the meantime, my baby, you know, he's probably in the middle of the road because I've completely stopped tending to him in the car seat. So goodness knows where he's at at this point. Because I'm focused on every single thing. I mean, hinged on everything this pastor has to say. Even though I really don't understand it for the first time I want to. Like, I need to hear what he has to say. It's like, my life depends on it, which I later learned. But yes, as a matter of fact, it really did. So after church service, they had Sunday school. Completely unaware of what Sunday school was. I saw a bunch of people going and I was like, well, I'm going where they're going. Because the preacher's going in there and they're liable to be talking about this fella called Jesus. And I want to hear more about him. So fast forward every Sunday, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, Tuesday morning, Bible studies. Whenever the doors were open, I was there and I was met exactly where I was. Mm. And I was made to feel so welcome. And they preached and they taught and they prayed and they ministered every single day to me. And I shared with you, we did a Bible study in the book of David. The Book of David. The Book of David, that, yeah. We studied the Book of David. At least that's what I thought, because I had no idea that there wasn't such a thing. I later learned from these kind ladies that as a matter of fact, there's no such thing as the Book of David, but we're just excited that you're learning. So they led me to believe. And and I'm cool, (laughs) it's a funny story. But I got a Bible, and I learned about the Old Testament, the New Testament. I learned about Jesus and God and disciples and apostles and saints. But more than anything else, I learned about salvation and I learned about a savior. And for the first time in my life, it was revealed to me about heaven and hell and that these in actual fact are real places that do exist. So during this time that they ministered to me in different classes and Sunday schools and church, it was in the May 2010. So about, I guess, six, seven months later that I received Jesus as my savior and it changed my life. Like, I mean, it changed it forever.
1: So your ex-husband that didn't have that same Did experience.
2: Not. No, he didn't, unfortunately. So
1: he's the one that took you to church for business reasons. Yes. You actually hear the gospel and become a Christian. Yes. Right. And
2: he's confused. Yes. Very confused as to what happened. Like, what happened to you? I was like, well, I became a Christian. How? Well, I prayed and I confessed and I repented and I received Jesus as my savior. Well, how do you do that? How can I do it? Can you do it for me? No, it doesn't work like that. That's not how it works. You see, we were living a life that if you want it, you got it with a swipe of a credit card and that's exactly how it worked. But this didn't, this cost nothing. It didn't cost a thing. And that was hard to comprehend. So fast forward from May to October My ex-husband came home and he told me that he had closed the business that we had, the pub and the restaurant, that it was an actual fact closed. He flew back to the UK.
1: Just like that. Just flipped the switch.
2: Completely out of the blue. Like completely, I I had no idea. Completely Mm. unexpected.
1: So your life has just come to a screaming halt.
2: Yes. Like everything changed. And the next morning when they were towing my cars out of the drive, it was a reality. And... I'm scrambling to get strollers and car seats and my laptop and all sorts out of a car that now I just learned actually no longer belongs to you. This is not your car. I then learned that the house, in actual fact, didn't really belong to me either. So that goes into foreclosure. The restaurant goes into bankruptcy. And as the bank manager, they gave me time to clear the house. And as the bank manager came so I could sign to hand back the keys, he asked me how... I was able to still stand, having lost everything. And I told him I hadn't lost everything at all. I had gained everything. Because there was one thing that man could never take. And that was the salvation that had come through Jesus. I didn't need the cars. I really didn't need that house. Nor the pub, nor the restaurant. My marriage was in shambles. Everything I thought I needed and everything I wanted had been pulled like a rug from under my feet. And the one thing that stirred... Was my salvation that nobody, nobody could take. Mm. And my two little boys.
1: Mm. Mm. And so. That's an amazing story, Corinne. Just an amazing story. So, and somehow he calls you to ministry too.
2: Yes. So right. I get the opportunity to go to a women's conference in the midst of all of this into the new year. So the boys and I, are, through God's grace and provision, we get on our feet, the car is provided, a roof over our head, and I get invited to a, a women's conference through a women's ministry. It was Beth Moore, as a matter of fact. It was a teleconference. And so I was like, wow, women can preach. Who would have known? So I'm at the conference and just saturated in the word and the spirit, surrounded by hundreds of women just praising God. And then this one split second, it was like there was nobody else in the room existed, just me and the spirit himself. And I get goosebumps, actually. Just me and the spirit himself calling me to ministry. Now, I'm telling you, when you get a call, you know, when you get a call to ministry, I mean, it overtakes you. I mean, it's like a burning furnace that never goes out. It just blazes heavier and higher and hotter, and it consumes your every waking, sleeping moment. That's how it felt.
1: I encourage, Karina, I encourage every pastor to retell their story of their calling.
2: <laughs> yeah. You
1: got to remember that he who called you is faithful, remember yeah. your calling. Yeah. And you tell it was such like, it just happened. I mean, it's <laughs> so real to you.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Now to the man, this calling's impossible. You know, I'm, I am I. do not have a seminary degree. I do not have any biblical education. I've just become a Christian in a year. Like this last year, okay. I received Jesus, and now I'm being called to ministry.
1: With two little kids.
2: With two little folks, yes. Yeah. And you. a family. I was, been,
1: I you I was running back to England, yeah. Okay, all
2: right. So, again, God's provision, His grace and His mercy, He put people and places and everything in my path that I needed to be where I am today. And it was through his provision. I, I did two years in a Bible college. I did my master of divinity in seminary. And this is just a funny story. I want to tell you how I got into EPC because I did my college at a Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist church. Okay. Yes. And so... Which
1: typically wouldn't be supportive of right. preaching, right?
2: It doesn't make sense. Okay. So the... College, overlapped with the seminary. I got offered the place at seminary.
1: You went at to God's Erskine, Theological at
2: Ersk- Erskine Theological Seminary. Okay. Yeah, which is...
1: In the Associate Reformed <laughs> Presbyterian Church, which also does not have women pastors.
2: Correct. So okay. you can see God all over there. Yeah. So I get called into the office at the college where I'm at as they found out, not that it was a secret, I had the sticker on the back of my car that I was going to Erskine, but they had found out that I was going to Erskine Seminary. He asked me why. And I said, because I wanna do exactly what you do. I I wanna be a preacher. I've been called into ministry. He said, no, you haven't. He said, it's not the will of God. He said, you're a female. I said, I know, but God, he said, you're a female. I said, but God, he said, Karina. He said, I want you to think about this. He said, I will not minister to you while you're going to seminary to pursue ministry. He said, you need to make a choice. And I did. I left the college and continued at Erskine where a pastor friend, he was a friend, and he said, so you want to be a pastor, Karina? I said, yes, I do. I said, I just got kicked out of college for it. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I need to take Thanksgiving off. He said, I don't suppose you know a pastor that could stand behind my pulpit over Thanksgiving, do you? I was like, yes, me. I'll do it. <laughs> He's like, are you sure you're up for it? I'm like, yes, I would love to do it. He said, well, if you're sure. And that was Thanksgiving 2013.
1: That was your first time. And I
2: have never, I get goosebumps. I have never looked back. I'm telling you, he told me, he called me that night. He said, how was it? How did you feel? And I was like all over the place. And I was rambling. I was excited. He said, okay, you were called to ministry. That's what I wanted to hear. I still get that excitement, that anxiety, all of that every time I step now behind the pulpit, wherever that may be.
1: So you're at Rocky River. At Rocky, yes. EPC Church. Yes. So let's pivot there because you're a pastor, you're a preacher, you do it every week. Rocky River EPC in South Carolina. That's right. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be a pastor of a small church.
2: It's exciting. It's very exciting to be a pastor of a small church, but it comes obviously with hurdles and struggles and one thing, and another. Like I'm sure any church really does. The exciting thing about leading the small church is your family. You know absolutely every single person, their likes, their dislikes, where they are, what they're doing. I mean, you are family, you know them by name. They're neighbors, you get to call them friends. And it's exciting, I enjoy serving the small church. It's rural, our church, it's been organized for 254 years. Wow! Very proud. They're very, very. I'm proud. They're proud uh-huh. of our heritage. And at one point, it served two to three hundred people. It sat on the Charleston Highway, so it was the like a
1: gathering spot.
2: Yes, of the community. Sure. You know, I mean, it's just where people met to worship. The parish hall, you could equate it to, mm. and it was a very vibrant community church. It's still vibrant. It's still community, just not on a scale of two to three hundred anymore.
1: Yeah, when you started there, it was how big then? Nine. Nine people, and you've been there for what, eight years? Eight years, that's Okay, right. so you pastored up to the pandemic. Sure did. Wow, so you're you're in this community, it's, it's building, it's growing, you're getting invested in that community, the pandemic hits. How did the pandemic affect your small church?
2: Not the way it affected everybody else's, in the sense we didn't shut down so at all, just for one week, one, week. one Sunday, And there was two Sundays. One Sunday we shut down entirely. The second Sunday we attempted to do outside church and it was nothing short of chaos um, with the wind and the rain and uh, sermons blowing one way, bulletins another way, the microphone cuts out, the speaker system just decides not today. So okay. we so as a session we decided, you know, we we're going to church. We were called to commune with one another and that's exactly what we're going to do. So we prayed as a session, as a congregation, we agreed, we're going to meet. Now bear in mind our church can hold about 120 and there's 30 of us. Right. So it wasn't hard to split up and spread out, but we had communion, we had worship, we had praise, we had children's church and wow. preaching. We- You're
1: probably the only church I know of that just stayed right on through. We sure did. Yeah.
2: And because of that, it unified us. There was a lot of unity in that and they didn't want to be apart. That was just, it's not in their DNA to disconnect. They needed connection and community and fellowship. You know, we all one body after right. all.
1: So the small church has some unique things to offer, Karina, yes. and has some unique challenges. That's right. When we talk about particularly resources, mm-hmm. talk to me about like where those struggles come.
2: Okay. I'll share with you a story I'd shared about Vacation Bible School. Yeah. So our church is currently, uh, we weren't able to do a Vacation Bible School this summer. Financially, we just weren't in a place that we could do it. Uh, so we didn't. We did not have VBS. We have got more kids than we've ever had, but we weren't able to, to do what we have done in the past. So following the summer, a church, a larger church, doing a VBS, Vacation Bible School, when they got finished with it, they put it online that they were doing away, they were offering, giving to all of their curriculum, all of their decorations, everything that they had used for their VBS, they were giving it to another church. So we jumped on that in a heartbeat. We gathered all of their stuff, all of their curriculum, decked out our entire church, and we had a full VBS. Have you ever heard of a full? I've
1: never heard of a fall VBS.
2: Right, see this is the beauty of the small <laughs> church. We can, we can do a lot of different things. So get this now, this is how God works. So although we couldn't do the summer VBS, we were able to offer something that no other church was offering. So we were able to create something that drew children in without having to compete with other churches on a much larger scale than us. There was just us offering a full VBS during the kids fall break with the equipment from a larger church that had said, look, we have this. So they equipped us, which enabled us to be able to offer something that we couldn't otherwise yet in god's timing we offered it at a time when nobody else was doing it so can you imagine what that looked like Mm. it was amazing yeah so now we have all of this bbs stuff that we are now handing off to another church and that's kind of going in with what i shared with you a lot of the time the small churches were not looking to have a check written yes we may be in a financial strain or a financial crisis but not all the time does it really need a check these were resources that enabled us to do something that we couldn't afford to do. Right. Would a check have done that? What would happen if we got a check for $10,000? Would we have gone and done the BBS, or would we have put it towards something else? God provides.
1: And how would you pass it on to somebody else? Right.
2: Right. But he provided the need that we had in giving us the resources to do this BBS for the community so that we were able to outreach disciple, be missional, and evangelize at a time when nobody else was doing it because it was during the fall. Mm. How good is God?
1: Right. So you obviously have a super passion, Karina, for the small church and this idea of networking with larger churches and resource sharing, whether it's people or curriculum or whatever it might be. But you're bringing that passion to your presbytery. It you used to be Presbytery Mid-America. Now they have um, multiplied, they haven't divided. And we have New Rivers, Coastal Carolina, and Central, Central Carolina. Yes. And you're Central Carolina. Oh, yeah. And you're kind of reinvigorating yeah. a small church network in your presbytery. Talk to us yeah. a little bit about that.
2: Super excited about that, because the small church network, while we were PMA, it was super duper active. And we had a great team. And when we multiplied, I'm not entirely sure of the small church network and the other two presbyteries. But I know in ours, it is something we're passionate about. We are passionate about the small church because over 50% of our churches in our presbytery are made up of 60 or less in attendance on a Sunday. Wow, 60 or less. That's over 50%.
1: Half of your presbytery churches have 60 or less in worship. Yes. Wow.
2: And even if you were to look... Even further into that, less than 60. Some are meeting with less than 30, less than 20. And it can get lonely. Yeah. But the the thing about it is we are the majority. So we are relaunching in January, I guess, so to speak, relaunching small church networks. I'm super excited about that. And one of the key elements of this small church network, again, is to equip, to enable, to encourage these small churches by one of the key elements is partnering with a larger church. Mm. Just like I shared that example right. at the Vacation Bible School. Right. A lot of the small churches, they have they have the the resources, so to speak. They 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 have the the financial resources to do all of these things, but they don't have the people power. And a larger church has people power. They can connect with the smaller church. So that church over there that's that's got enough money to do Vacation Bible School, but they don't have the people. They're an older congregation, say, I don't know, 60 and above. They want the young families. They want the young people, but they don't know how to do it. It's not that they can't afford it. They can afford it, but I hear this a lot. They're too old. So you know what? Let's partnership with that church up there that has a youth group of 35 and let's mission trip down. It's missional. So let's send half a dozen of this youth group down here to help you with that vacation Bible school.
1: And that's intergenerational, which is yes. one of the keys of discipleship for the next generation. Right. They not only love it, but it's super effective. And we know David Kinneman wrote this in A Faith for Exiles and Out of a Barna study is that intergenerational fellowship and discipleship is key mm-hmm. to hanging in there and persevering for the next generation.
2: And, 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 it energizes. You see a church that hasn't seen youngsters for quite some time they're, they're energized, they're re-energized and and youngsters bring youngsters. young people bring young people. We just got to get them there and between the two between the small church and the large church, when you marry together and you partnership, you can do just about anything. There's no such thing as I can't do this. The small church doesn't even need to have that in its vocabulary. Yes, you can. you can do all things. Nothing is impossible.
1: Well, your enthusiasm is contagious, Karina, and I've enjoyed our conversation so much. Is there any final words that you would want to share with folks um, in terms of helping them to understand about the small church? The takeaway, you would want them to say, after hearing Karina's passion for the small church, I think about the small church differently because I heard what?
2: The great, big, small church. Unpack that. The church is so huge. There is no such thing as a small church in the kingdom of God, none whatsoever. You are huge. You are absolutely massive in the eyes of God. And we need to remember that. We are the great, big, small church.
1: The great, big, small church. church. Excellent. I love that. That's a great hook. And hopefully that'll keep people coming back. And if they wanted to connect with you, Karina, how would they do that? Like I could imagine other people churches or presbyteries wanting to connect with you about how to create small church networks mm-hmm. and their presbyteries. how would they reach out? To?
2: Well, Central Carolina's website, my okay. name and my details are on there. And then of course, Facebook, social media, our Rocky River church page. And then my page is wide open. So okay. Karina Gambrel. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to send you a friend request as soon as we're done. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for the time today. It's really been a delight. Thank please, you. Thank you. Well, my friends, that wraps up a delightful conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And that if you do, would you please like us on social or share this on your page or encourage your elders, or maybe there's a small church pastor or elders in your presbytery, or area who would be blessed by this conversation as I have been today. And would you just pass that along to them? Let them know. And I think this is one of Karina's message is that you're not alone. That encouragement in and of itself will empower our small churches to do great things together. Say it again.
2: Great big small church.
1: Great big small church, all right. That's gonna be the title of this episode for sure. All right, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. All right, my friends, well, that wraps up our conversation for today. And uh, we're gonna end as we always do with a good word from God's word from Colossians chapter one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him, all things were created. That includes the small church. I mean, Jesus started with 12 followers. So think about how the world changed from that perspective. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. For him. For he is before all things. And in him, my friends, all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. So in the name of our Lord Jesus, and on behalf of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, until the next time we gather in this venue for another conversation, I bid grace and peace
0: to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of the entire team, please join us for our next episode. For more information about the EPC, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more. Visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.